following audio is from a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer entitled, Pray Like Jesus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, 9-13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again on this holiday weekend. My name's Justin. I am one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be preaching for you, with you together this morning. It was good to hear um, I like it when we just strip some things back and we sing some hymns, and uh, I like when I'm down front and I can hear your voices nearly as loud as I can hear their voices. So that's, uh, that's pretty great. Uh, we are, we're, we've been working through the Lord's Prayer, and we've been, I've been really encouraged just by hearing from some of you how this series and spending some time digging down into this has been making some changes in your own prayer life, and so that's been deeply encouraging to me. And I'm, we're just asking that God continue that, God keep it up, because uh, obviously it's all his work and not ours. Um, today we are in our fifth petition, is that right? Fifth petition, that's right. We're in Matthew chapter 6, so if you've got your Bibles, open them up, your app, open it up. Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to go ahead and jump in, because we've got a lot of work to do this morning. Father, we thank you for teaching us how to pray. That we all desire to connect with you, to know you, to talk to you, to experience you. And yet we feel inadequate in doing so. We don't know how to approach you. We don't know necessarily what to say or maybe even how to listen. And so we thank you for sending Jesus in one sense here to teach us how to pray. And we thank you for this time that Jesus spent teaching his disciples to pray in Matthew 6. Father, I ask today that you would speak through my mind or you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, that you would help us hear with ears of faith this morning, that you would speak to your people from your word. Uh, we come to it hungry, and we, we want to be fed this morning. So would you help me, and would you help us hear uh, for your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing our time in the Lord's Prayer, learning to pray like Jesus. And today we come to this petition where Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, this request gets right down into the very heart of Christianity. It's no surprise to anyone in this room that Christianity is all about forgiveness. That's a big word that Christians throw around a lot. Hopefully, even if you haven't spent much time studying what Christians believe, you know that at the foundation of the Christian faith is this concept of forgiveness. But it's been my experience in the past 20 years of ministry that many people, even people that have spent their whole lives going to church, do not really understand what the Bible means when it speaks of forgiveness. And because they have a shallow understanding of forgiveness, the power that is latent in the gospel of Jesus Christ lies dormant in their heart. So, we need to answer a few questions here. First, what is sin? 
sin is called many things in the Bible. It's called missing the mark. It's called transgression. It's called disobedience. But here in our text this morning, Jesus gives sin a different moniker. He calls sin a debt. Now, we know what a debt is, right? It's something you owe someone else. If you have a loan on your car, you owe that money to the bank. If you don't pay the debt, there will be consequences, right? They're going to take back the car. They'll probably fine you. They'll have a negative mark on your credit report. But also, with that financial debt, you also have a moral debt. You owe it to the bank to pay them back. If you don't, you are actually sinning against them. Now, we might not think of that very often because we relate to banks as some kind of like soulless institution, right? But think for a minute, if you bought your car from a friend and you couldn't pay your loan, you aren't just in financial debt to him or her, you are also in a moral debt to them. You owe it to them to pay your loan, ASAP, right? So here Jesus says, all of us, every human being, is in debt to God. Well, what does that mean? Like, I don't remember signing that note, right? This is what that means. We owe everything to God as our sovereign creator. He obviously created this world. He created us. He gives us life and breath and food. And he has done all of this just because of who he is. He's good and eternally benevolent. So what do we owe him? We owe him, the Bible says, worship. We owe him our love, our devotion, our obedience. To deny him that is to sin against him. It's to go into debt. Now, this is really important for us because most people, especially in our culture, only think of sin as the bad things that we do, sins of commission, lying, cheating, stealing, lusting, breaking commandments. Those things are indeed sins, but they aren't really the greatest sins. The greatest sins are the sins of omission, something that we fail to do. And that is to love, worship, and honor God above all things. This is why Romans 1 I'm going to put it on the screen. When the Apostle Paul begins to talk about sin, he says it this way. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. For the wrath of God, so God's anger and God's displeasure, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who look by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Here's how they do that. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are, look, without excuse. For although they knew God, here's what they didn't do. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why is God's anger revealed? Why is his wrath revealed from heaven? 
because people who can look around at this created world and see its beauty and wonder and design suppress the truth of the creator and fail to give him honor. All of us have a debt to God and that debt is honor, worship. It's called worship, reverence. So that sin The chief sin is actually a sin of omission, things that we fail to give to God. And here is the reality of our existence. All of us have failed and daily fail to give the honor that is due to God in appropriate ways. It's crazy. God tells us to worship him above all else. He gives us everything necessary to do that. And what do we do? We ignore him. We focus on our careers. We focus on our political parties and their agendas. What's the first and greatest commandment? Jesus tells us, love God with all our mind, heart, will, and strength. What's the second commandment? Love our neighbors as ourselves. Now listen, I want you to just think about that. Contrary to popular opinion, our greatest debts we owe to God are not a result of the things we have done. They're actually a result of the things we have left undone. The things we have failed to give God, the the love we failed to give our neighbor. And how many times when you come to prayer and you come to God, in your mind, the first thing that you're thinking of is, okay, what did I do wrong today? Did I do anything big? I don't think I did anything big. Today's been a good day, right? But what Jesus is wanting us to get down to is, no, no, we have a debt to worship God with all our mind, all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. And our greatest sins in life are always going to be the sins of omission, the things that we failed to give when we were called to give. Interestingly enough, this is one of the greatest differences between people who are just religious and Christians. See, religious people, they only think they have a debt to God over the bad things they've done. Christians, on the other hand, see their debt to God as infinitely greater because of all the good things that we have failed to do. We haven't loved him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength. We haven't loved our neighbor like ourself. So the first step into Christianity and the first thing that we need to see here is that our debt that we owe to God is actually infinite. That means we do not have the resources necessary to actually pay that debt off. See, religious people think, oh yeah, I did lie there. So I better do something good today to kind of counterbalance that, right? Religious people think all they have to do is pay to pay God back is make sure their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds. When I die, I just want to be a little, you know, let's just tip the scale a little bit. I want to be, have done more in this world, more good in this world than I've done bad. And if I do that, then I'll get to heaven. But that's not, that's a different religion altogether. That's not what Christians believe. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Christians, 
We, we see our debt that we owe to God is actually infinite because we failed to do so many good things. We failed to give him honor and worship as our good, benevolent father. So if our debt is infinite, how do we get forgiven? How do we get released from this debt? This is where we begin to see the beauty of the gospel. Here's the good news. God, the one to whom we owe our debt, sent his son Jesus to pay the debt that we owe. Did you hear that? God paid his own debt. He didn't just erase the debt. Like how many have had this thought if you're in credit card debt or, you know, your mortgage? Like how many have had this thought like, wouldn't it be nice if that just got deleted in cyberspace somewhere? Like just click, click, just one guy inside, just click, click, oh, it's gone, right? That's not how God erased our debt. It wasn't just a click in cyberspace and then our debts are all forgiven. No, here's what happened. The exact amount of your debt to God, whatever the trillions would be, that infinite number was paid by Jesus. Jesus walked into the throne room of heaven and paid the exact amount for your debt. How did he do that? Well, first, he did it through his perfect life, that Jesus always did what is good, right, and perfect. Jesus never sinned against God. Jesus paid God the perfect debt. Jesus lived a life as a worshiper. His whole life gave all honor, all glory to God, his whole life. So Jesus acted as a perfect worshiper. Guys, I'm just going to stop us here. Please stop moving around. There's a lot of people moving around this morning. It's very distracting. Okay, there we go. Thank you for that. All right, two, so one, he moved, or he, he obeyed God perfectly, okay? That's how he paid our debt. And secondly, he paid it through his substitutionary death. Jesus, as the song sang, took our sins upon himself and went to the cross with it to pay that debt. Now, that's what Jesus did. That's the gospel. How does that actually count for us? How do we actually get forgiven by God? One, we confess our sins. We admit our sins of commission and our sins of omission to God. We say, God, we owe you everything, and yet we have run up a moral debt to you and we could never repay. And secondly, then, so we confess our sins. Second, we repent of our sins. Now here, there's a key difference Confessing is saying, God, I've done this wrong. I acknowledge that I've done this wrong and I failed to obey you. Repentance is different. Step one, confess. Step two, repent. That means we turn from our sin. We begin to hate them. We run from them. We see them as they really are. Heinous acts against our good God and we begin to turn from them as the Spirit helps us. And three, here's the second thing. So confess repent, and third, as we repent, as we're turning away from our sins and turning toward our Heavenly Father, we are placing our faith in greater and greater measures in Him, in the gospel, in what He's done. His life becomes our life. His death becomes our death. Now, why do I am saying all that? We know this, Justin. Here's where we begin to see Two aspects of forgiveness. The, the first off, there's people that say to me, 
You're, you're a church. Why do they confess their sins every week? Why do you even talk about sins? Everybody knows they're sinners. Stop talking about sins. Just talk about grace. First off, if you don't talk about the bad news, good news doesn't make sense, period. And the whole mentality of stop talking about sin goes contrary to what Jesus tells us to pray every day. Every day, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we're going to keep talking about sin because we don't understand it. We don't. And if you don't understand the debt that we owe to God, you're never going to understand the debt he paid for you. So, if we've been forgiven because of the work of Christ, why do we need to keep confessing our sins? Well, this is what this, this is where we see two aspects of forgiveness. Okay? First, forgiveness is a legal action that God, as our great judge, pays our debt that we owe to him that Jesus paid once and for all, all of the debt we owe to God. That means for the Christian, there is no longer a case against us. We are truly forgiven our debts. Jesus' death erased all the debts that we owe to God, and Jesus' righteousness has been credited to us. His perfect obedience has been credited to us. So now when the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He's pleased with us because of the work of Jesus. This is good news. This is the legal aspect. But then let me ask, if that's true, that's a once and for all thing that was done, why does Jesus tell us to pray like this daily? Forgive us our debts. If forgiveness is something that happens once, when we believe the gospel that all of our past, present, and future sins are forgiven once and for all, why are we to pray every day, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts? It's a good question. So just as forgiveness is a legal action by God, our judge, and that only happens once, listen, forgiveness is also relational. God is also our heavenly father. And our constant sins against him break fellowship with him. When he says, I put you in that neighborhood to go, literally to go bake a cake for your neighbor or, or mow your neighbor's grass or to show them an act of love. And we go, nah, forget that. That is a sin against God, and that is breaking fellowship with him. Our father has asked us to do something, and we say, no, I'll do my own thing. I'll figure my own thing out. See, when we do that on a daily basis, that hurts the father. That disrupts our communion with him. See, when we sin against God, our father, as a good father, begins to step in. What does a father do? A good father to a disobedient child. He steps in and begins to discipline that child, begins to correct that child, begins to chastise that child. See, that's happening every day to us by our heavenly father. And as we sin and as we disobey him and as kind of we feel a little bit of his displeasure and we kind of feel, what, what's going on? Well, I haven't been, I'm not obeying my father. 
But as we confess our sins to him, as we repent of them, as we turn and remember Christ's work for us and trust in them again, his pleasure in us and our pleasure in him is restored. Parents, you should get this. We always love our kids, but we don't always enjoy them. Right? Bedtime. Let's just talk about it. Right? Bedtime is the battle in most homes, right? If you've got young kids. Now, you love your child just as much as, they, as when they're obedient. You love them just as much when they're disobedient, but your pleasure in them. There's a, a relational discord there, right? There's a break in the relationship because the child is being obstinate, being rebellious, not responding well to your leadership, right? And so there's a, a break in fellowship that needs to be restored, and this is why we bring correction to our children and why we discipline our children because we want to have a good relationship with them their whole life. And their disobedience is a mark of their disobedience to God. As they disobey you, parent, they're also disobeying the Father. And we can't enjoy the Father while we're living in sin. Right? Well, what? Now, God, our judge, has already been paid off by Jesus. But God, our Father, has been wounded and hurt. And offended, right? Just like any other father has. Now, why have I spent so much time on this first half of this prayer? Probably Christianity 101 for most of you. Well, I've spent so much time on this aspect because it's really the key, the heartbeat of this whole prayer. That if you don't understand what God has done for you in forgiving you of your sins and paying off all your debts, the whole course of your life is going to be off. You might even call yourself a Christian and yet in your heart, not really be one. Now I get this question fairly often. How do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I know that my sins have been forgiven by God? We can answer that question a lot of ways. Well, do you believe the gospel? And here's the, I think I do. Like sometimes, most of the time, kind of subjective, right? Not very tangible. Like how do I know that I've been forgiven? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just get a card or something? Like if you go in and you pay off your mortgage or you pay off your car loan, they give you a receipt and that receipt is nice. You take that out and you're like, Creditor can call all he wants. I got proof it's been paid off, right? We want a receipt that we've been, that our debts have been forgiven, that our debts have been paid off. Well, listen. Here in this prayer, Jesus is making it perfectly clear that we can get a receipt. We can have proof that we are indeed forgiven that we have been saved by God and that all of our debts have been paid. Do you see what it is? Look at our text. Jesus says this, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Just to make sure we don't misunderstand this. He clarifies it later in verses 14 to 15. Look what he says. He says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, 
your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Trespasses is another word for sins, another word for debts. Here's what Jesus is saying. Anyone who has been forgiven by God will become a forgiving person. Just to clarify, let me show you two important quotes from a Puritan named Thomas Watson. Put this other one up here. Our forgiving others is not a cause of God forgiving us, but it is a condition without which God will not forgive us. That's a key distinction. It is not a cause, but it is a condition. Secondly, forgiveness is a sign that God has forgiven us. We need not climb up into heaven to see whether our sins are forgiven. Let us look into our hearts and see if we can forgive others. Do you see what Watson's saying? Forgiveness, your ability to forgive others, that proves that God has forgiven you. See, I don't have to wonder and beg, okay, has God really forgiven my sins? Do you have the ability to, to forgive those who sinned against you? In our culture today, forgiveness is rare. Right? We want to see people literally tarred and feathered, right? Publicly humiliated, groveling. We don't want to offer forgiveness. Forgiveness is a sign of weakness. And yet Jesus teaches here, if you've been forgiven by God, you will become a forgiving person. Now, what is Jesus trying to teach us here? By teaching us to pray like this, Jesus is acknowledging at least two things. Now listen, this is why I hope you didn't just check out on the whole first half of the sermon. I know you already know that, but what we're going to talk about now is not possible unless you understand the first half of the sermon and you believe and you've experienced the first half of the sermon. Because Jesus is teaching at least two things here. One, he's teaching that in this world, you will be sinned against by others. It's not a surprise to us, right? People will hurt you. And guess what? That pain, that sin against you, creates a real moral debt that all of us will suffer and have suffered at the expense of another sinner. Parents have sinned against us. Our friends and families have sinned against us. Our coaches, teachers, employers, managers, and even the people we most trust, our pastors, our spouse, our children, they've all and they will all sin against us in some form or another. And that hurts, that creates a real relational debt that we have towards one another. Now, this makes all of us sufferers. So in the beginning, we saw we're all sinners but we're not just sinners. We're also sufferers. We're, we suffer under the sin of others. And that hurts us, right? That, that, that creates scars on our souls. 
So I, mean, I just want to acknowledge this first. You've all, all of us have been hurt in profound ways. If you haven't, you've lived a charmed life, that's great. Lucky you, most of us haven't. But here's the question. That person has sinned against you. There's a real debt there. They owe you something. But what are you going to do with that debt? If you hold on to the debt, they owe me. I can't believe what they did to me. I can't believe how they sinned against me. I can't believe how they hurt me. If you hold on to the debt, you will get more and more bitter. The sight of them will send shivers up your spine and will raise your blood pressure. The sight of them will cause you to duck into another aisle at the supermarket so you don't have to cross paths with them. If you can't forgive your parents, that resentment will eat away at every other relationship in your life. That unforgiveness is a cancer to your own soul. You will continue to get angry. You will be unable to really move on in your life. I'm going to tell you, this is why we struggle so deeply with bitterness, resentment, and broken relationships. We don't know how to really forgive those who've hurt us because they owe us a debt. What am I supposed to do with the debt? Do I just forgive it? Do I just walk away from it and act like it didn't happen? What do I do with the debt? So we hold on to it, and it begins to eat us alive from the inside out. See, Jesus is teaching us here. When you are sinned against, you will be tempted to hold on to the debt and not forgive. You will be tempted to get bitter or resentful or cold or angry. Do you realize, why is there a reputation that Christians are cold, bitter, angry people? How can anyone who's tasted the free forgiveness of Jesus Christ be legalistic, stodgy, mean? How can that happen? They're forgetting something. They've missed something. You will be tempted to say when you've been sinned against, you owe me a debt and I cannot forgive you that debt until you pay me back every penny. A pound of flesh is what I prefer. So what's the answer? How do we really, I don't just mean dismiss it and say, oh yeah, yeah, I forgive that person. But then all you feel like you know you haven't in your soul. How do we really forgive someone who sinned against us? Listen, this is how everything I taught you in the first half of the sermon corresponds to this. You confess it. What does that mean? How do I confess? They've sinned against me. How do I confess it? You, you call it what it is. You say, what you did to me was wrong. You sinned against me. 
Just as before we could be forgiven by God, we had to confess our sins and seek repentance. So too, this process of forgiving others, I have to name it. I have to say, you sinned against me. In forgiveness, we must vocalize it before we can realize it. You have to name it before. Now, the feelings might come way down the road, years down the road, but you have to be able to name it. You have to be able to vocalize. You have to say, what, that, that right there was wrong. I've never said it before, but what my parents did to me in this moment was a sin against me and a sin against God. Forgiveness is not turning a blind eye and saying, oh, it's, it's okay, no big deal. Forgiveness is not just trying to move on and act like it didn't happen. No. We can still grieve. We can still be angry at the sin done to us. We can still say this behavior is not okay. We can still work for justice in the situation. Okay, but here's the second part. So confess it, name it. Second, you consciously release the person from what you think they owe you. You consciously release the person from their debt. Now, what does that mean? Miroslav Volf, he was a Croatian. He experienced um, the turmoil of the Croatian wars and saw his villages, his village and his town bombed, saw his family members killed, experienced um, all of the devastation of war, and he wrote about the Christian's ability to forgive. And this is what he says here. He says, the heart of forgiveness is a generous release of a genuine debt. It's a generous release of a, it's not saying, no, no, you don't owe me anything, man. No big deal. No, no, it's going, yeah, yeah, you took something great from me. You sinned against me. You owe me but I can generously release you from that debt. Now, clearly, this is not easy. This is not automatic. It isn't something you do once and then forget about it. Obviously, the larger the sin that has been done against me, the harder it is going to be to forgive that person, right? And just to clarify, by forgiving someone, you are not removing the consequences of their actions. Depending on the sin, consequences will always vary. You can forgive someone and still let the legal system apply the appropriate consequences. If you sin against me, I must forgive you, but I am not commanded to trust you. Forgiveness is given, trust is earned. Jesus tells us we're even to forgive our enemies, but he didn't say to trust them. Now, in Matthew 18, so what, you know, get practical, Justin. What does this really look like? I don't think you want me to get practical. Jesus gets scary practical in Matthew 18. First off, I want to jump to the very end. Look at verse 35 in Matthew 18, if you're with me. It's on there. Let's just go to 35. Look at the last verse Jesus says here. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The core of who we are. Forgiveness must be 
from the heart. Now, what does that mean? That means our forgiveness must be done at the heart level. It must be heartfelt and genuine. But if you've ever been sinned against maliciously by someone, you know how hard that is. So how do you do it? How can you get your heart? Can I just say, if you're not a Christian, this is bold, I'm sorry, but you can't do this. Why is there so much hatred outside these walls? Why are we still separated by race and class and all these different things and political party? We cannot do this. We can't really forgive someone from the heart. How do you get your heart into it and really mean it? Again, I'm going to say it again. I don't want to be dismissive. It isn't easy. It's not quick. It's a process. It's going to happen often. That's why we pray this daily. Our Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive those in debt to us. Jesus, one of the disciples came up to Jesus. How, oh, but how often do I have to do this? Like seven times? Like my brother sins against me. Seven times is a good number, right? After that, psst, get out of here. Jesus is like seven times 70. It's just number seven is meant to be kind of symbol, symbolic of per- perfection. Seven days of creation. Basically, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. As often as he repents to you, that's how many times you forgive him. Let's look at verse, chapter 18, verse 23. Jesus, the master teacher, didn't just teach this like in a classroom setting. How did Jesus teach? He told stories. And here's the story Jesus tells. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So, a king, he's ruling his kingdom. He looks over and he says, man, all these people that live in my kingdom, they owe me a debt, right? I've lent them some money. They owe me. I'm going to call in accounts. I'm going to say, all right, guys, no more living off the king. Debts Debts are due. Pay the note. Here's what happens. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is a unit of measure, but it's actually a weight. It's not like a dollar bill. It's more like an ounce of gold, okay? And what this equivalent to is literally millions of dollars, okay? So the point Jesus is trying to get across here, if you, in our day and age, he'd say, this guy owed him millions. And what you're about to see is the, the debt was so large, he was unable to pay it. Let's keep going. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This is, this is uh, basically the slavery of the day. If you could not pay your debts, you had to work for whoever you owed a debt to. You had to work for them, your whole family, kind of like indentured servants, paying off your own debt. Okay, keep going. So the servant fell on his knees. This is a... This is a an act of contrition, an act of repentance, imploring the king, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And the king, out of pity for him, the master of that servant, look at this, released him and forgave him the debt. Millions of dollars, right? Think about in one fell swoop, All of your student loans, gone. 
right? Everything you owe, wiped off, debt-free, right? Is that a good day? That would be a good day. Keep reading. 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's a lot less. Basically, one denarii is a laborer's wage for one day. Okay? So basically, this one servant owed, so he got forgiven a million dollars debt and somebody owed him 10 grand. Let's just throw that out there, right? A significantly smaller debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And look at this. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will repay you. You see the same act that this guy had already done, right? Fell down, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything I owe. But verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants, so people are watching this on the outside going, whoa, 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 this guy got forgiven a million dollars and then he goes to this other guy who owes him 10 grand and he's choking him out and throwing him in jail. Something's not right here. Can I, this is what the world looks at the church. Something's not right here. They say they've been forgiven, but look how bitter and angry and resentful they are. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Uh oh. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master, so the king, summoned this guy and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Whew. Whoa. Forgiveness is the sign that I've for been forgiven. And unforgiveness is the sign that I have not been forgiven. Miroslav says in his book that when I am refusing to forgive someone, quote, I am removing myself from the company of sinners and I'm trying to remove them from the company of humans. That means I'm forgetting the gospel. That means I'm forgetting what God has done 
for me through Christ, that I'm forgetting about my debt against him, that I am a debtor, all to him I owe, right? And if I I can't receive the forgiveness and then hold on to unforgiveness of somebody who sinned against me. That's as if I was standing over my brother and sister as if I'm a holy God and saying, you better pay me back everything you owe me. I want to be clear, forgiving is not simple. It's not easy, it's not quick. I've said it many times. It's not something you can do without the Spirit of God and the gospel. But it's powerful. And it puts the gospel on display like almost nothing else can. And I want to leave you today with a real-life example of what forgiveness looks like. Now, earlier this year, the headlines reported that a man named Larry Nassar, Nassar, USA Olympic gymnast doctor, worked for uh, Michigan State University many years. He was convicted of sexually assaulting, molesting over 250 young girls throughout his tenure. And um, it was everywhere in the news. It's horrific. And there was, they saved one, one girl. This has been going on for years. And this one girl named Rachel Denhollander, she's the one who broke the story and came out and, and accused him. And then everybody else kind of came around him. And one of, the, one of the striking things that the judge in the case did was she allowed all of his victims or as many who wanted to come and testify openly in court of the abuse that he did and to say things to him if they wanted to. She knew that you, to get forgiven or to be a forgiving person, you, you need to vocalize. You need to be out there. You can't just act like it didn't happen. So she allowed these young girls to come in and really just let him have it. And they saved the last testimony for Rachel since she was the first to come out. And um, Rachel is a Christian who understands the gospel. And everything I taught today is kind of summed up in how she confronted this man. And this is, I'm going to quote, this is an extensive quote. So that's, that's no, 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 not, that's the second one. I'll get to that one in a, later, in a second. Here's the, here's the other one. Quote, You have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires a man defined by his daily choices repeatedly to feed that selfishness and perversion. He chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it cost others. And the opposite of what you have done is for me to choose to love sacrificially, no matter what it costs me. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness. But Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, You know forgiveness does not come from doing good things as if good deeds can erase what you have done. 
It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done and all of its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. If the Bible you carry says it is better for a stone to be tied around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble, and yet you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak of carries a final judgment where all God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Here you see forgiveness come together. She names it. She calls it what it is. She doesn't excuse it. She's letting the justice, the courts play out. She's not asking for a reduced sentence. She's not saying no big deal. She's letting him have it. And in hopes that the guilt, you realize guilt is real. We walk around with it. We try to ignore it. We try to act like it's some kind of thing that our parents gave us. No, no, no. We feel guilty because we are guilty before God. And that guilt is meant to bring us to the one that we owe a debt to and cause us to say, forgive me. And only he can forgive us. Later in a Christianity Today article, she was interviewed and, she, and the reporter asked her this. What does it, and that's up here, there you go. What does it mean to you that you forgive Larry Nasser? Quote, it means that I trust in God's justice. Stop. Every sin will be punished and made right. Either Christ is punished for it on the cross or we will experience eternal separation from God in hell to pay for our sins. She says, I trust that God is just and he will do work now or on the eternal stage. I'm giving it over to him. I'm handing the debt that Larry Nasser owes to me. I'm handing that debt to a sovereign God. Keep reading. It means that I trust in God's justice and I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. Does not mean that I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him and I trust God's justice. Whether he chooses to meet that out purely eternally or both in heaven and on earth. This shocked the world when this testimony came out. How you've been so violated and so hurt and so abused by such a wicked man. How could you offer forgiveness to such a person? Really, there's only one way. 
And that is to see the debt that I go owe God as infinitely greater. The honor and worship that I owe to God pales in comparison to anything that has been done against me. Those, those, though those things done against me are real and heinous and horrible and they are debts. This is how the gospel comes into us and changes us from the inside out and enables us to forgive those who sinned against us. And this is how by us forgiving others puts the gospel on display to a watching world. They go, how? How could you do that? Gospel's the only answer. Jesus, we have sinned against you, we have sinned against others, and we have been sinned against. And we are tempted maybe every day to hold on to unforgiveness, to respond with an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Sovereign God, you know every wound in this room. You know every scar and every pain. You felt them on the cross. You absorbed them on your body on the cross. And when we come to you, vile sinners that we are, you accept us because you've accepted the work of Jesus on our behalf. Any man or woman who's felt that tug has been or can be released from their bitterness, their anger, Jesus, you are the great physician Would you mend and heal souls in this moment? Forgiveness is not cheap. The blood of the Son of God proves it. Would you do a work of mending, healing, and restoration in this room today? Would you help us? Maybe even a a person's face comes to mind, a name comes to mind that we know we have been unable to forgive and we're holding on because it hurts and we've been wounded and we know they owe us a debt. We don't want them just to get off easy. Father, you promise nobody gets off easy. You enable us now to hand that burden over to you hand that debt over to you and trust you in your sovereign hand. Would you make us into radically forgiving 
people. The world could see what your family looks like. Family centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that the Spirit of God would make us into that now. Father, this meal reminds us of the covenant you made with us. That we come to you as broke sinners with empty hands. And you pay our debt with your body, the body of your son Jesus and his precious blood. Would we confess? Would we repent? Would we put our faith in you again as we eat this supper that reminds us our debts have been paid? And we've got money in the bank to forgive our debtors. Pray that you would do this for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen.